All right, Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. <clears throat> the, word of the, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, That is in vain. We will follow our own plans, and we will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. And uh, I'm going to stop right there in terms of our reading. <coughs> uh, but we'll cover all of that chapter and a little bit of 19 in, in summary. But what we see here is that God is speaking to Jeremiah, and he has him go down to the, to the potter's house. And in this passage, we see two very clear pictures of God. In the first chapter 18, we see God's grace. Because in the picture of this clay being spoiled as the potter is molding and shaping it, when it's spoiled, he remakes it into something else. And then in chapter 19, we see the judgment of God because uh, of their disobedience and their rebellion, ultimately judgment comes. And so I want to kind of break this down in, in, in terms of the picture of the clay and the potter. Uh, and so... <clears throat> under uh, the grace of God, the first thing that I see there is God is the potter molding and shaping us into the image of Christ. You see, in Romans 8, 29, it tells us that those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. So God's plan is for you and me to look like Jesus. He wants us to, to be uh, a servant. Uh, he wants us to be holy. He wants us uh, to uh, be obedient. And, and so he's, he's at work to mold and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ, His Son. I want us to understand clearly that our lives are not shaped by fate, uh, but they're in the hands of Almighty God. You know, I hear so oftentimes, well, it, it's just fate. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that God is in control of every situation. Our lives are totally in control of an almighty God. And God has a personal concern for our lives. You know, it's amazing to me to recognize and to realize that God cares about me in a personal way. 
not simply as a part of Longview Point Baptist Church or a part of the human race, but he cares about me. He cares about you individually. <clears throat> if you uh, look in, in Isaiah 64, 8, Just turn with me, if you will, Isaiah 64, 8. It says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. You see, God is constantly at work to mold and shape each and every one of us. If you uh, look at Jeremiah 1, 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You see, God had a plan for Jeremiah from the, before he was ever born, as he knit him together in the womb. Matthew 10, 30 and 31 says, But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. That's in context of a passage of Scripture where he says, look at the sparrows. They don't worry about something to eat. They're clothed in beauty. And not a one of them falls to the ground that our Father doesn't know about it. And you are much more valuable than that. So God knows everything about us. And God is concerned about you and me at a personal level. And so as we think about <clears throat> us being molded and shaped by God, we need to recognize that God is the only one with the power to guide our lives. Now, there are going to be a lot of influences in our culture today that are going to tell us the way we ought to live our lives. But the only authority, the only genuine authority is God Himself that has the capacity and the ability and the authority and the right to govern our lives. And so we need to understand that. <clears throat> he makes it clear that he is sovereign over all people. The sovereignty of God is, is constantly at work in, in our universe. Look at uh, verses 6 through 10 in chapter 18 there. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent and the disaster that I intended to do to it. You see, God is sovereign. He doesn't change his mind, but there are occasions when he relents. And, you know, I'm reminded of the story of Jonah as he was called to go to the nation of Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go because he understood the nature and character of God. And if the Ninevites were to repent, God would relent and he would bless them rather than bringing the judgment that he was to pronounce. And so Jonah ran. Ultimately, the sovereignty of God brought Jonah to a place where he says, okay, Lord, I'll go. And he went and he, he preached the message of judgment in 40 days. This nation will be destroyed. And the nation repented and God relented. 
So we need to understand that God is at work to mold and shape us. <clears throat> and God has a perfect plan for our lives. Romans 12, 1 and 2. God has, has laid out in that passage of Scripture what He desires from us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a, holy, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to me, which is your reasonable act of worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. You see, God wants us to fully surrender to Him, give Him all that we are, become a living sacrifice, wholly dedicated to Him in order that He has the privilege of molding and shaping us into who He desires to be, that we might prove what His good, acceptable, perfect will is as we become transformed and changed into God's uh, you know, design for each and every one of us. And so, He has a perfect plan for our lives. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Is for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, God is, is actively at work to bring us to that place that we line up with his perfect will and that we serve him. He's prepared those works for us to do long before we were even saved. So, he does have a perfect plan, and He's constantly at work. Your next bullet there says, We cannot see the finished product, but He promises us that it would be wonderful. Look at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has provided for those who love Him. What God has prepared for those who love Him. You see, God desires good things for you and me. God desires to bless us. Uh, and so He's at work to mold and shape us into, into children that walk in obedience to Him, surrender to Him, serving others, and in so doing, serving Him. And He desires to bless us. But one of the problems is, is that we're often walking in rebellion and disobedience rather than in obedience. <clears throat> and so God patiently directs in our lives, seeking to fulfill His will. We'll, talk, you know, we'll see more of His patience as we, we move forward and and we, we see when that clay becomes marred or spoiled and, and he begins to rebuild it. But God is patient. You know, this was one of the complaints of, of Jonah. Uh, and, and knowing that, that God was patient and that he would ultimately relent if they repented. And God is patient with us. 
And I'm so glad of it. I don't know how many of y'all might have needed a second chance, but I've needed it a few times. Even a third and a fourth and, and the list goes on. But God is patient. He's long-suffering. And so we see that God is the potter in this beautiful picture. And in His grace and in His mercy, He takes these pieces of clay and He begins to mold and shape them into something that's beautiful. And then in number two, we see that we are the clay God desires to shape into a useful vessel. God doesn't need us. He could have the gospel preached around the world, broadcast from heaven. He himself could broadcast it and work all kinds of signs and miracles. But the reality of it is, is that he chose to use you and me to accomplish his mission. And so he's molding and shaping us for that purpose. He wants to take us as we are. You know, Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he wants to meet us right where we are and then begin to, to mold and shape and conform us to the vessel that's going to be useful in his kingdom. And so we are that clay. Now, the, the problem with clay is that it, it can become spoiled. You know, it's of no great value by itself. You know, Jeremiah's message in this particular passion, pass, pass, passage, I'll get it in a minute. I'm just an old country boy. I'll get there after a while. But in this passage, he's speaking about the nation. But it certainly has implications for us as individuals. And it, it has implications for us as a nation. It has implications for us as individuals. And Christians are God's vessels molded by him to contain the treasure of the gospel. You know, in 2 Timothy 2, we look at that passage, 2 Timothy 2, 19. <clears throat> Beginning with verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows that those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Here again. He's preparing us to serve Him. He's preparing us for the good works that He has prepared for us to do. You know, clay is of no great value by itself. 
and it can't do anything by itself, but just sit there. If I had a ball of clay here and I put it right there, it would just sit there until it dried completely out. But in the hand of the potter, it can be molded and shaped into something that's very beautiful and useful. My wife loves pottery. And it ain't nothing but just clay that's been under the potter's hand on the potter's wheel. And it's got to be beautiful for what it cost me. (laughs) And I sure hope it's useful. But the reality of it is, is that they take where she gets hers, they get this old mud out of the Mississippi River or somewhere around there, and they make it into this beautiful pottery, dishes and bowls and cups and saucers and, you know, on and on. And you can put them on the table and eat out of them. They take this clay and they mold it into something beautiful and useful. And that's what God wants to do with you and me. Now, I know you look at me and say, I don't know if he'll ever get the beautiful part. Maybe useful. But God wants to mold and shape us into something beautiful and useful. For his purpose. See, it's all about the potter. It's not about the clay. The clay is is simply to be used in in the potter's hand. The most important quality of clay is that it is pliable. You see, it yields in the hand of the potter in order that he can shape it into exactly what he wants it to become. But if it fails to yield in the hands of the potter, it will become spoiled. So if if you've got a piece of clay and it's, it's got... You know, maybe a a little rock in it or it's got an air bubble or something like that. Many times as it's spinning on the wheel, it's going to break open or it's going to have a flaw in it. And you've got to start over, mold and shape it into something else. And so when we as followers of Christ, when we disobey Him, we become spoiled as the clay is spoiled in the potter's hand. But we need to understand that that God is right there to remake us when we fail. And we'll all fail. We'll mess up. I hadn't found anybody yet that hadn't messed up somewhere along the way. There are no self-made Christians in the will of God. You know, in America, we like to have an independent spirit you know, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And that's, that's been a mentality that's been handed down to us for generations. But in the a, in a spiritual life, we need to understand that we have to yield to the hand of God, to the hand of the master potter, if we're going to truly become effective and efficient and a vessel that's useful in the kingdom of God. So we need to yield Now, keep in mind, I'm not suggesting that we are not used or that we're not a part of of God uh, accomplishing His purposes. You know, we're not just that lump of clay sitting here on on a desk. 
the scripture is very clear that you and I have a personal responsibility to yield and to, to move forward in faith and to, to accept the responsibility for our own spiritual growth and become active in serving God. And when we submit ourselves, when we yield to him, then he's at work in us to accomplish his purposes. And so we, we do have a personal responsibility to yield uh, to uh, the master, Potter. God does want us to cooperate with him as we pray, meditate, obey his will, and yield to his tender touch. So, God is the potter. You and I are the clay. And the potter is constantly at work to mold and shape us into a vessel that's useful to fulfill his purposes. Now, the next thing that I see is, you know, when when they take that clay, it's it's set in the the center of a potter's wheel, and it spins around and around, and, and, and it's shaped as it's spun around. And that gives it the symmetry and the consistency that the potter desires. Now, you and I are all on the potter's wheel of life. Life is that that wheel that we've got to engage in in order that, that we can be shaped. The wheel is spun around swiftly by the potter himself and And he alone controls its speed. There's nothing that happens to us in life that God is not already aware of. Nothing catches him by surprise. It doesn't matter what has happened to you, what you've encountered. It has not caught our God by surprise. Our lives as Christians are not controlled by chance or luck, but by God himself. You see, that's one of the reasons I, this, is a, this, this won't cost you extra, but it's one of the reasons that I have such a problem with gambling. Because gambling is a game of chance whereby it says, I do not trust God, I wanna, I'm going to get rich quickly. The whole mentality behind it is the very antithesis of walking in faith and obeying God and working hard and trusting Him to provide our needs. Besides all of the wreckage that it creates along the way. I won't charge extra for that one. It wasn't really in the study here. But it's not luck or chance. But it's, our lives are controlled by God. The, the spinning of that wheel is controlled by God. Your cancer didn't catch him by surprise. Your financial struggles didn't catch him by surprise. You know, whatever it is, it hadn't caught him by surprise. He arranges the circumstances of life that mold us. You see, it was God who arranged for young Joseph to go to Egypt, where he was molded into a ruler, a leader. You know, we've just talked about Joseph in our connect groups. And we saw as a young 17-year-old boy, he was flaunting the, uh, you know, 
you know, his, his coat of many colors, and he was bragging about the dreams that he was having and, and the, the thought that his family might bow down to him one day. And then, then God took him into Egypt, and he began to shape and mold him and ultimately exalted him to be the second in command in the greatest nation, the strongest nation that existed during that time. You know, it was, it, was, it was God who sent Moses into the desert for 40 years to prepare him to come back and lead the Israelites out of the bondage and the captivity. It was God who led the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, preparing them to go in and take the promised land. See, there's that time of preparation, that molding and shaping that has to take place before we ultimately become that effective vessel, that, that useful vessel that God desires for us to do. It was God who put David in the shepherd's field, tending sheep to prepare him to lead a nation. It was God who blinded Saul on the road to Damascus in order to bring him to a, a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ in order that he might become the great apostle to the Gentiles. You see, there's, there's molding and shaping that has to take place before we become that useful vessel. The most important thing about a wheel is not its size, but its center. You know, some of us are going to, you know, we're going to live short lives. Some of us are going to live long lives. That's irrelevant. Is Jesus Christ the center of our life? Are we, are we walking in obedience to Him? Are we serving Him? Is He the center of our life? to where we're focused on all that He desires for us to do. Matthew 6, tells us that if we seek first the kingdom of God, then all these other things that we pursue will be added to us. And so, the wheel of life, our trials, our tribulations, our persecutions, those things that we encounter are used by God to mold and shape and prepare us for the purposes that He has designed for us to fulfill. And it's as we, as we watch God at work in the midst of those difficult circumstances that we come to a genuine realization and understanding of what Romans 8.28 means when it says that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. So life is the wheel. Disobedience is what spoils the vessel that God is shaping. Has anyone in here ever been disobedient besides me? You don't have to raise your hand. I already know. You see, when Jeremiah was standing there and he was watching the potter, And the scripture says that the vessel was spoiled. The clay was spoiled. And then the potter began to reshape it. It's a picture of man's rebellion and God's grace. As he picks us up and he begins to reshape our life when we mess up. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what our past is. If we we yield our lives 
pliable in the hands of the master potter. He will reshape us and he will make us a useful vessel. The clay was marred because it wanted to have its own way. That's one of the greatest struggles that I have is just pure old selfishness. Anybody else struggle with that? I want things the way I like them. I want them when I want them. You know, I want to be in charge. But the reality of it is, is that I'm going to mess it up if I'm in charge. And so we need to surrender to God's will. Our rebellion mars the clay. It spoils what God is doing in our life. We mar our own lives by making our own plans outside of the will of God. You know, we, we need to be living in such an intimate relationship with God that every decision that we make is filtered through that relationship with God. God's concerned about everything in life. Is it going to honor God? Is it going to bring glory to Him? There are a lot of things that He'll give us a choice about. Am I going to work at this job or this job? Am I going to buy this car or this car? But am I making a wise decision? Can I honor God and do this? And so it flows out of that intimate relationship. But when, when we make our own plans, sometimes we see that those plans, they bring financial problems upon us. They bring marital problems upon us. They bring all kinds of, of marring of the clay, if you will. And so, you know, if, if we could look into the future and see what God wanted to do in our lives, we would never disobey Him. I am convinced that there's probably not a one of us in this room that, that have such an intimate relationship with God that we fully understand everything that He wants to do for us. I really believe that. I am so far from the kind of relationship that God desires with me and the intimacy and the blessings that He wants to pour out that we can't even imagine all that God wants to do for us. And I really believe that. And even as I sit here and imagine that, I still struggle with sin. I struggle with disobedience. But if we could, if we could look and see into the future and know exactly what God was going to do with us, how He was going to mold and shape us and, and make us. You, you just think about the most gracious, godly person you've ever seen. And then double or triple it. That's what God wants to do in our lives. So, but because we do disobey, God has to begin to reshape and reform us. And, and, and God is gracious to forgive and to make us again. You know, time and time again, 
we fail. You know, we get rid of this sin and then this one over here crops up. We've got to deal with it. But God just time and time again begins to, to reshape and mold us into a useful vessel. Sometimes He must use difficult tests in order to make us yield. You see, He spent 20 years molding Jacob who was, in the end, a useful vessel. After they were marred, God gave a second chance to David. Committed adultery. Had Uriah killed. But then we read in Psalm 51 a beautiful story of of confession. Created me a clean heart, a new heart. And God gave him a second chance. Jonah, we've already talked about him. He said, go to Nineveh. He headed the other way to Tarshish. He was getting out of Dodge. But God caught him. And in the belly of that fish, he repented. And God gave him another chance, spit him out on the ground and and sent him on into Nineveh. Peter. I'll never deny you, Lord. Before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And that's exactly what he did. But then Jesus, by the sea of Galilee there, he said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter went on to be the great preacher of Pentecost. Wrote much of the Bible. One of the first ones to go to the Gentiles with the gospel as he encountered Cornelius. Because God gave him a second chance. And he yielded to that and allowed God to mold and shape him. From that old rugged, disobedient fisherman to a fisher of men. He wants to do that with you and me. So, disobedience spoils the vessel God is shaping. You know, these, these trials of life, these testing, you know, in this, in this passage, we don't find mention of the furnace with which he was going to fire this vessel once it was formed or shaped. But it had to be there. We know that. Every piece of pottery is fired after it's in order to give it strength, to harden it, and to give it the beauty that comes through that as it comes through that fire. And that same thing is true in our spiritual lives. We're going to have to go through the fire, the trials, in order to ultimately become the useful vessel that God desires. No vessel is worth anything until it has gone through the furnace. You know, if you just, if you just shape that vessel and let it dry, it's going to be rough. It's not going to have any shine to it. 
It won't have any strength to it. And the heat gives the clay strength and beauty and increases its usefulness and its value. Our life must have its furnaces. Look with me, if you will, at James chapter 1. Beginning with verse 2 there. James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, James, he tells us that these trials of life are there to strengthen us, to to shape us, and to equip us and prepare us, and to bear testimony to a faithful God who is at work in our lives. You go back and you you read the book of Job. God said, have you considered my servant Job? And he gave Satan freedom to cause him suffering. He went through the test of that suffering. In... uh, 1 Peter 4, we find a story of the persecution that was taking place in that early church. The refining fires. And as they were scattered in that persecution, the gospel went forth. They were faithful in the midst of that persecution. God was preparing and equipping them. When trials come our way, we must yield to the potter and let him have his way. When trials come into our life, we have, there are often two responses that we could take. One of them is, is that we can become a victim. I don't deserve this. Well, the reality of it is all we deserve is death and hell. You know, it's not fair. We can get mad at God. I thought you were going to protect me. But you see, when we go through those trials, that persecution, whatever it may be, God is using that to make us better and to bring glory to His name as we walk through that trial of life. You know, I've seen people walk through some difficult days. And they've inspired me. As they walk through those times with faith and and a, a, a hope, a sure hope that God was with them and that God was going to sustain them and that whatever the outcome, God had a purpose for it. And so people are watching as we walk through those trials of life. And so we can either be a victim or we can say, God, what are you teaching me? What do you want to teach me through this trial of life? What do you want to change? What do you want to shape you know, in order that I become a useful vessel for you.
Now as you move into chapter 19, we find the picture of the judgment of God. The nation had continued to rebel. Judgment was coming. In the, in the first 13 verses there, we see where Jeremiah went to the valley of the son of Hinnom. This was a, a place where the Jews had dedicated to the worship of idols. Some of the worst sins in Jewish history had taken place right there. The name son of Hinnom was written Gehinnom and eventually became Gehenna in the Greek language. The New Testament word for hell. You see, King King Josiah turned this idolatrous place into Jerusalem's garbage dump. In 2 Kings chapter 23, you can read about that. It's a picture of hell. The garbage dump. As constantly it's, it's burning. When Jeremiah came and, and he brought this message of judgment, and he said that one day this valley was to be called Tophet, or burning, or filth. It would be called the Valley of Slaughter. Judgment is coming to Judah. And then he threw the vase down as a picture, as a symbol of the judgment of God. Now what we need to understand is when that, when that clay is still pliable, God is able to remake it and reform it. But it's not repairable when it has become hardened. When a a clay pot falls to the concrete floor and it shatters all over the place, it's garbage at that point. And so what we see is that a broken vessel can never be repaired. Now keep in mind, we're not talking about the clay. That believer who's who's disobedient and, and God faithfully begins to remold and reshape him, but Someone that has become hardened. We need to understand that a nation or an individual can come to a place of no return. That's why it's so important that we invest in our kids, that they hear the gospel every chance (coughs) that, that they get. That we take seriously the opportunities that we have to share Jesus with every child, every youth, that walks in these doors. <coughs> Excuse me. Because there comes a point in time as the heart becomes hardened that this, it becomes a point of no return. So we, we need to, to faithfully share the gospel. If the clay becomes hard, it can no longer be molded. You know, when you... When you read the the parable of the soils. When Jesus told that, he said, the farmer went out and he sowed his seed. 
And some of the seed fell on the pathway. You see, the path is just like it's concrete here. It's been trampled on until it's so hard that the seed are just laying on top of the ground. There's no way they're going to sprout. In fact, the birds are going to come and snatch that seed away. Eat it up. And that's what happens when a person's heart becomes so hard is Satan removes, snatches away the Word of God, the gospel. Now, you and I are not going to know when they're past the point of no return. So we need to be sharing the gospel with everyone that we know and those that we don't. But maybe you're sitting there and you've continued to say no to Jesus and the salvation that he offers. There can become a point of no return. But today could be your day of salvation. So the judgment of God is very real. He's he's gracious. He loves us. And He'll continually, if we repent of our sins, will begin to, to take us and mold us and reshape us in order that we ultimately become a vessel that's useful to Him. But if we continually reject Him, ultimately judgment is coming. Apart from Jesus Christ, we will spend eternity in hell separated from Him. And that's the picture that we see here. So, let me conclude with some application. Very simple. God desires for us to be useful vessels, receiving His blessing and sharing them with others. He wants us to be His servants, making a difference in other people's lives. And so in so doing that, he asks us to be available. Are you available to God or are you too busy? How are you serving him? He wants us to be clean. He wants us to deal with the sin that's in our life. He wants us to get rid of it, confess it and forsake it. He wants a clean vessel. He wants us to empty our lives of self. We've already talked about self as one of our greatest enemies because when we follow self, we wind up sinning because we pursue the the desires of the flesh and the pride of life. So he wants us to empty ourselves of self, come to a place of full and total surrender to him as Romans 12, 1 says, become that living sacrifice. And then he wants us to be full of the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, we can then be filled. As we empty ourselves of self, God then begins to fill us with blessings that we can then share with others. Look with me, if you will, at 2 Timothy chapter 2. I've got 19. I'm going to start with verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. 
Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene among them, or Hymenius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. That's what this beautiful picture of God's grace and God's judgment, this beautiful picture of the potter and the clay. God, our Father, desires to mold and shape us, getting rid of the things that are not good and filling us with those things that are good so that we become a vessel that's useful to the Master. 